Hello and welcome to the Community Church Podcast, where we want to equip and empower people for life together with Jesus. On this podcast, we'll be talking with lots of different people from all walks of life to help us in our discipleship to Him. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, um, we are here with the wonderful John and Julia Sutton-Smith. Um, I have known them now for many, many years. In fact, John and Julia um, were the couple that married myself and my wife. Um, and uh, it's a very special moment for us. So we have a, a special, special relationship. But we thought it'd be fantastic to get these guys in to hear their story and to hear about how God has touched and changed their lives. Um, they have uh, been around for a long time. <laughs> uh, so uh, they've seen a lot of stuff, but there's a lot of wisdom we can learn from them and to, to gain from their experience. Plus, they've had a fantastic life. So I wonder if you guys could kick us off uh, just by telling us how you initially met one another. What's the story there? We first met at college in Rhodesia, as it was then, before it became Zimbabwe. It was a united college of Rhodesia and Iceland, built by the British government to service the three territories. And... I went up to the college when John was in his third year and we met within days of my being on the campus, although I don't especially remember John clearly from that time. I was just interested in going to college. I think I met him at the Freshers' Dance, I think I met him on the hockey field when we had boy-girl hockey matches. Crazy idea. Um, that's my first memories of John. And seeing him bounding up the steps of the women's residence, laughing his head off, I was watching from upstairs. He wasn't really meant to be in the ladies' residence. Perhaps <laughs> <laughs> that's why he was laughing. <laughs> But I remember the, the joy and the life in his face and being quite arrested by it because I was used to quite a, a dull, sober kind of life, very serious life. Uh, so that was one of my first memories of mm. him. Mm. Excellent. So you both, did you both grow up in, in Rhodesia, in Africa, or were you moving across... We were both born in England, but I went out to Africa after the war at three years old with my parents. My father was working in Tanganyika and then later in Rhodesia. And I went to school in Rhodesia. Mm-hmm. And you, John? I went out to Rhodesia when I was 19. I went on something called a Kingsley Fairbridge Scholarship. I was in school assembly and the head teacher said there is a new university in Salisbury, Rhodesia. It will be an external College of London University, so it will be offering London University degrees and there's a scholarship for three young men, it was men at the time, to go out. I like the idea of going to Africa rather than Plymouth or Bristol or Hull or something. (laughs) So that's what took me out there. 
And as Julia says, I was in my third year at the university. We were driving a group of us in a car past the ladies' residence. I think I was talent spotting, looking at the freshers, and I don't believe in love at first sight, but I do believe in attraction at first sight. And my eye spotted this girl, and uh, I made a beeline for her when we had the freshers dance a few days later. So that's how it started our relationship. Okay. And we were very far from God in those days. Mm. Mm. So then um, you guys hit it off um, when you were in your first year. And then um, how did that relationship progress then between you two? (laughs) Well, you see a lot of each other in college, so it was pretty constant. And um, John was pretty constant at appearing at my door too. (laughs) (laughs) wanting time with me so it was quite hard to keep him at a distance but um, (laughs) quite hard to keep him at a distance despite all of your efforts (laughs) (laughs) well I was there to study that's all I wanted to do (laughs) yes I graduated and finished the university course at the end of 1961 and we actually married then. We okay. married in December in 1961. Um, so how long had you Salisbury. been courting? It had been two years. Two years. Two okay. years. And I was coming back to England, and Julia kindly and sacrificially gave up her university course, and uh, we met and married in December 61 and came to England. And then I taught in an independent school in Hertfordshire, near St Albans, for the next three years. Mm-hmm. And that's where our two children were born. Again, we were a long way from God. So that brought us to England. And then, although I had a degree, and that was fine for the teaching job I was doing. What was I, your degree? I was a general arts degree, English history, social anthropology. But for a professional career in teaching, you need a postgraduate certificate of education. Mm-hmm. And I heard that there was a scheme to take graduates from UK to the very university where I had met Julia. Okay. And if we did a postgraduate certificate of education there, they would pay us out, that included two children, pay us through the year what almost was a salary. And the contractual agreement was that I taught for a minimum then for two years in newly dependent Zambia. Northern Rhodesia became independent in 1964. They built a lot of secondary schools. They relied on expatriate teachers Mm -hmm. to staff them. So in 1965, which was actually UDI year, they... What's UDI? Unilateral Declaration of Independence. Okay when uh, the Rhodesians decided they would go alone, break their ties with Britain. So in 1965, we were in Salisbury. I was doing my postgraduate year. And in 1966, at the beginning of the year, we moved up to Zambia. And that was the next phase of our life story. Was that quite a, an easy decision to go back to Africa? Were you both wanting to go back? Or was it more the financial aspect of being paid for? I mean, taking two young children out to Africa with you, and yes. there was a lot of... Was there violence going on at the time? No, OK. It, in some ways, it was like going home, so it was not a big deal to go back to Africa. 
and John needed the PGCE. So this was a golden opportunity. Um, and we loved, we loved Rhodesia. We loved our life there. Mm -hmm. You take people out of Africa, but you don't take Africa out of people. Mm -hmm. So we were very happy to go back. We liked the way of life, we liked the people, Julia's parents were there. And there's no problem taking little children around like suitcases because that's the time for them to travel. Mm -hmm. Our children, when we went to Zambia, were three and one, and they're not having their schooling interfered with, so they were happy as anything. Mm -hmm. Hours of playing outside. Mm -hmm. No, it wasn't a huge decision. Okay. So then you are in Zambia, you're back at university learning your PGCE, and I did that go without pitch? Was that? Uh, we spent a year in Rhodesia. In Rhodesia. In Salisbury. That's okay. where the university was. Okay, yeah. There was no university in Zambia. Okay. Uh, and at the end of that year, we moved up to Zambia. Uh, okay. And then you got a teaching post in Zambia. Mm -hmm. And what was that like, getting your first <laughs> teaching post in Zambia? Well, they posted you where they chose to post you. And uh, any preferences, I remember thinking line of rail and a hockey club would be my choice. They yeah. posted us to probably the most remote school they could find, just newly built. Right. It was called Mwenilunga, town. I could say it's a town, it was a boma. Probably you'll find it on the map and you could then because there's no town within 200 miles in any direction. So this little tiny outpost by Zaire and Angola and we ended up there on our teaching contract. And that's where we found the thing. Well, going to Winilunga was a nasty shock, really. 300 miles of dirt road, leaving a town on the Copper Belt and finding no facilities there whatsoever. Mm. They built a bungalow and there was running water in the bungalow and that was about it. <laughs> so it was quite a steep learning curve, learning to adapt. And the other English-speaking people in the area were missionaries and they were wonderful to us. Once they got to know us, they helped us as much as they could, got involved in our lives and we came to know them as friends mm. and to respect them highly. And we listened to what they said, that Jesus was alive and that was the reason why we were, we were, they were there. And to us, that was a big surprise. Okay. We didn't even know that Jesus was alive. And, but because we respected them and they loved us so much, we listened to what they said. And, um, so, so were you kind of quite sceptical at first and then slowly as you came to know the people? Yes, I argued with them for about a year and a half. I liked them, respected them. There were two men, they were men's men, mm. tough as teak. Mm. I think a young man needs Christians like that, mm. easy to respect. I didn't like their message, it seemed all about sin and very negative to me. But their love and their prayer softened our hearts. So after a year and a half there, I reached out, very tentatively. 
Jesus, if you're there, imagined he was just beside me, just behind my right shoulder, mm. and found I was getting a response. Mm. A year later, Julia came into that same relationship with Jesus. So there was a year difference. How was that year, year-long difference? That proved to be a very difficult year. Uh, John's finding faith brought a lot of tension and distress into a happy marriage. Uh, because I didn't understand this faith thing and I hadn't been looking for this unknown God. So in a way it forced me to do something about it. So that at some stage I cried out to God to reveal himself to me before this marriage came apart. So it was going in that direction then? That was how big a deal it was? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean we never considered it although in my thinking at one stage I thought um, I would take the children and go back to England when John suggested that he that God wanted him to stay there and he hadn't consulted me on this issue he just announced that he thought God wanted him to stay there and I just felt as if there was a third person in this marriage <laughs> whom I didn't know okay and uh, so it created a lot of tension. Yeah, and I, I, I guess as well that would be a big decision given that you're in the middle of nowhere, very basic yes. facilities. Yes. You would want, after your two-year contract, I guess you were thinking, two years, yes. count down the days and then we That's can go right. find another job. Yeah. That was the original thinking. Yeah. Uh, I read when I found Jesus, a verse which Jesus says, I come not to bring peace but to bring a sword to set a man against, even members of their own family, that helped me. I somehow knew I had to be true to my new first line of consultation and first line of allegiance. If I watered it down, it wasn't the answer. So the issue came when I was invited to a Christian meeting at a mission hospital about 50 miles of dirt road from where we were. And the man was speaking about discipleship. And one thing he said, I can't explain it in words, God might call you anywhere, or God might ask you to stay just where you are. And those words, just where you are, seem to reverberate across the room. Mm. I, I realized at that moment God spoke. I didn't hear anything else said at that meeting. I was quite shocked. But instead of therefore leaving after two or two and a half years, I felt God wanted us to do the full maximum contract, three and a half years. And probably with as little tact as I could manage, I told Julia that I think it was we were in for. But it was in that extra time that Julia found Jesus okay. herself. So how was it for you then? Uh, how was it for you receiving Jesus? Was it a? Um, you said that you reached out to him and then he revealed himself. How how did that look for you, Julia? Um, he let me stew in my own juice for quite a while. <laughs> uh, but eventually, there was a couple on the Boma who were very close to us. They weren't actually missionaries, but they were Christians building for the uh, missionary stations and running a trading store, providing food for these expatriate teachers. And um, they talked to me one day in my distress and said, Julia, we love you, but God loves you much more than that. He wants to enhance your marriage and bless your life 
You don't have to be a missionary to know God and love God. Um, God loves you for yourself. You have a calling as a wife and a mother. And I was very encouraged to hear this. I don't think I'd talked to anybody about faith up to that point. So it was a relief to talk about it. And I think I felt if God wants to know me, then I have no trouble wanting his son forgiveness and a fresh start in life, a new vision for life. I was so impressed with what I'd seen in the lives of the missionaries that I was quite happy to walk in the same pathway, mm. especially if I didn't have to do the kind of missionary work they were doing because okay. I didn't feel able to do that okay. at all. And I left from that conversation, Daryl had prayed with me with a real sense of peace that I had encountered God or made some sort of transaction with God, even though I didn't understand it. And it was only afterwards reading a book that Helen gave me by Watchman Nee called The Normal Christian Life. And he just wrote in that about Jesus dying, not for the world in general, which I had assumed, but for the individual who took hold of it for themselves. And suddenly it was like a light shining. I suddenly understood what he was saying. And I understood that Jesus had died for me personally mm. because I accepted it. And that really transformed everything. And in the weeks afterwards, reading my Bible, reading the Gospels, and marveling at this person of Jesus that I read about, I began to look at life differently. I began to see my past life differently. Um, I wrote to my parents and my brothers and my friends and told them about this new experience. But in particular, I wrote to my father and apologized to him for hating him. That as a teenager, I'd expressed my anger over an unhappy childhood by hating him and sulking and running away from home and doing nothing to help. And I said I was sorry. And I found after that experience that God took out of my heart the self-pity and the anger and the bitterness that had been festering there, unknown to me, took it away and filled the empty space with his love. And it transformed my personality. Wow. And I've never looked back from that day. I've always known that it was a confirmation to me that God had come to dwell in my life. Yeah. And from that time on, I saw more and more things differently. I was able to relate to people in new ways and love them. And suddenly I was happy to be in Zambia. That was the most amazing experience of all, that instead of wanting to get out of Zambia <laughs> as fast as I could, I knew God would make me happy there. Wow. And whatever followed on, I, I would manage it with his help. So John, take us to the moment then where Julia comes and tells you that she's become a Christian. What's uh, 
how how are you feeling what what happened what was what was that like for you well she was on a camp and she actually wrote a letter to say that i think a great sense of relief mm. it was going to be she was going to either quit or join as far as i could see i felt looking back on 29 years before i found god that seeing clearly the hand of God had been on me all that time and it wasn't by chance I went to Rhodesia or later to Zambia and I felt somehow that God was there when I fell in love with Julia and married her so sooner or later she would find faith too mm -hmm. that actually only had to wait a year it took us a long while before we could really communicate spiritually talk about these things which are very private. It took us a long while before we actually prayed aloud together. Mm. It wasn't suddenly we were in the seventh heaven. Mm -hmm. But the issue now was that I was going to fulfill my three and a half year contract. And whether I was to sign up and do another contract, go home on leave and come back and serve another term, or whether to obtain a job in UK. Okay. And what had happened just after I became a Christian is a lady called Mildred, known by many in our community church, came out as a missionary teacher to the school. She had a huge impact, a lot of dynamo in the small package. What kind of impact did she have then? Well, she came and first of all, she taught us that the Christian life is not lived by self-effort. It's, I can't, but you can, and he lives that life through us. That's fairly important to learn. Mm. She was backed by a lot of prayer. She came from a Brethren Assembly in Southport and she was very vivacious, attractive, good fun to be with. And God started to move amongst the students in quite a big way. Oh. Christian Union was formed. And of course for John just become a Christian and Julia just soon to become a Christian, she was very, very influential. Mm. When I was debating on whether to return to UK, I was applying for jobs in UK, not easy when you're not available for interview. <laughs> and uh, I saw an advert in a Christian magazine advertising a school called Scaresby Hall School. I said, Millie, this is near where you came from. Oh yes, I know the headmaster, it's a good school. And I thought that's the kind of school I'd like as a career school, rather than moving from one place to the other. And three years is not a bad time to serve in a school as a teacher, you can make an impression in that time. So I wrote to Mr. Oxley at Scaresby Hall School and he sent a telegram back offering me a job in September mm. of that year, 1969. I was waiting on the Zambian government. They were keen to have me sign up again. But for 15 months, I'd been working as deputy headmaster in that school. That was an official position, but I had not been paid for it, not been appointed to it. Not that I had a grouch because I was loving life there and I'd found Jesus. But uh, the telegram came from Mr. Oxley and I accepted the job. And a week later, after those 15 months, a telegram from the chief education officer, Mr. Sutton Smith, appointed deputy head, backdated from January 1968, and pay would be following and wow. but the timing of it was such that the door opened for us to come to UK it mm. was the right decision mm -hmm. and uh, so we left and started a complete new chapter so again was that was that an, a difficult decision to say because obviously you'd come to know Jesus you had Millie there you were 
loving life you felt that God had called you there was it you talk about feeling that it was the right time to go back to the UK but was there a lot of ifs maybes how how did you come to that decision together um, I think the decision was pretty clear because okay. we had been waiting so long for some sort of guidance for mm. the Zambian Education Service to communicate and Mr. Oxley had amazingly sent this telegram to say that there was a job on offer for John. Mm. Um, so it happened very quickly. We had to pack up the house almost within one week, well. um, get rid of all our possessions because we couldn't carry anything with us and say goodbye to the missionaries. And obviously we were sad to leave the missionaries, mm. but we could always come back and see them. It, it wasn't yeah. permanent from that point of view. But I think for the sake of John's career and the sake of our children in the future, it we knew we needed to go back. Mm. Uh, David was already in a boarding school, had been for a year at age five and a half. And again, I think it was God's enabling because he went so happily. Uh, he was a very independent child and he really flourished at that school, learnt to read and write within the first term. And, but we didn't want that as a permanent arrangement, him being away from home. And I certainly don't think I could have sent Michael, he was a different temperament altogether. So we felt that it was right to mm. go back home. The school was a missionary boarding school called Sakeji School, very well known amongst the brethren churches, and it was an excellent school, which did enable David, our elder boy, to have education while we were there. So when we came to this country, David was seven and Mike was five. Mike had never been to school in his life, but it didn't sort of hold him back. He's, he'd, uh, when he was in school, he caught up very quickly. Mm. But for the sake of the children, it was a better proposition for their education. But if God had said, I want you to stay in Africa and live there permanently, I do not believe for a moment the children would have left, uh, missed out at all. The place to be, in my reckoning, was the center of God's will, and he's responsible for all the implications yeah. which flow from that. Yeah. listening to this episode of the community church podcast uh, this is just part one this is not the full story for john and julia so tune in next time where you can listen to the second part of their story of how they came to know jesus uh, for now we hope that you have a fantastic rest of your week and we'll see you again next time Take